1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, let us now hear the word of the Lord. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would grant that your Holy Spirit would guide us today, would guide our minds and our hearts through the Bible. We ask that we might be granted understanding and insight into this passage of Scripture today. We pray, Father, that as we learn this morning, uh, the two on the road to Emmaus, their hearts burned within them as Jesus opened up and explained the Word of God to them. And we pray, uh, Lord, by your Spirit, that you would do the same here in this place and among this people today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever gotten distracted from what was most important? Have you ever stopped and realized that you had forgotten things that were basic, things that were of the utmost importance that you never never should have forgotten, that you never should have been sidetracked from or led astray from, but you ended up in a place where you were in a place where you had forgotten and relinquished what was most important. Now that can be a very, very serious in everyday life, but it is deadly serious spiritually speaking. It is most important that we remember what is most important, that we keep it ever before us, and that we not allow ourselves to be sidetracked from it, drawn away from it, or to neglect it. I realize that you will not remember everything I say. I understand that. (laughs) You will not remember everything I have taught you. If you're part of this church, if you're a member of this church, you're going to forget a lot of the things that are taught or preached here. I pray that God help you remember most of it, for all of God's Word is of vital importance. But there is one thing that I pray that you will not leave this church without, and that is a serious knowledge of and understanding of the core of Christianity, the core of the Bible, and that is the gospel. I will have counted myself a failure if you leave your time as part of this church, whether that's in moving away or going on to somewhere else, if you don't know and can't articulate the gospel. It is a sad, sad reality that there are many professing church members, professing Christians, who don't know what the gospel is, who don't have it clear in their minds, and could not explain it to someone else. Let us make sure that's not the case with us. Let us make sure that we know the heart of the Bible, which is the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, today we want to spend some time in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, and think about what is first of all, what is of primary importance, and that is the good news of 
our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to think about the gospel today in three ways, both this morning and this evening. First of all, we're going to start with the declared gospel. gospel the gospel is again declared by Paul to the Corinthians. That's in verse 1. Then number two, the apostle speaks of the way in which the Corinthians had applied the gospel to their own lives. That's in verses 1 and 3. And then finally, Paul speaks of the saving gospel. And that's in verses 2 through 4. Now let's give ourselves a little bit of context for where we are here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians is the resurrection chapter. This is the chapter in which the apostle explains and defends the Christian doctrine of the resurrection, both Christ's resurrection as well as our own. The bulk of this chapter deals with the resurrection of the body and its importance to the gospel itself and to the Christian. Why? Why is Paul talking about this topic here in 1 Corinthians. Well, as you know, as you probably know already, the church at Corinth had a number of problems, had a number of issues, and this is one of them. There are some among the Corinthians who are denying the truth of the resurrection of the body. And you see that in verse 12. Drop down there. Paul says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead. So Paul confronts them with this idea that has been adopted by some in Corinth that there is no such thing as a resurrection. And Paul is going to deal with that here in this 15th chapter in his letter to the Corinthians. So I hope that gives you a bit of context for where we are here in this chapter. The first thing I want you to notice is the centrality of the gospel in this text that we are considering this morning, verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the what? The gospel which I preached to you. What did he preach to them? He preached the gospel to them, which also you received. What did they receive? They received the gospel, and in which you stand. What were they standing in? They were standing in the gospel. Verse 2, by which also you are saved. Saved by what? By the gospel. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, what is that word that the apostle had proclaimed to them? It is the gospel word. Then verse 3, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. And then what does Paul go on to do? He goes on to explain the gospel, the basic content of the good news of Jesus Christ. So you see this passage revolving around the gospel. Next, I want you to notice that Paul says that this gospel is of primary importance. Verse 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Notice that little phrase, first of all, in protois in Greek. Your translation may say, of first importance. Now, the idea could either be something that, be, that comes first, like in time, or something that is of the utmost importance. Now, commentators, scholars, etc., they tend to side with the latter, but I think both those, those things are true here. The gospel would have been the first message that Paul proclaimed in Corinth, and the most important message. 
So it is not only first in time or in sequence, but it is also first in importance. So the gospel is primary. Because it's primary of prime or primary importance, it comes first and it retains this place of primary importance. Matthew Henry says it this way, quote, it was a doctrine of the first rank, end quote. Number one is what? Is the gospel. It is first and it is foremost. What are some things that are really important to you in life? What comes to mind when I ask you that question? Oh, you might say, oh, Pastor Nick, uh, food, shelter, clothing, uh, relationships, entertainment. Okay, you probably wouldn't admit that, but many of us think or treat that as if it is of the utmost importance. But what about this? Could you say this? Could you say really honestly and genuinely the gospel, the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is a matter of the utmost importance in my life. It is the thing around which my life revolves. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means to believe this gospel and hold it to be a matter of primary importance. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is the primary thing. It is the primary message of the Christian faith. It is the heart and soul of the Bible because it is all about Jesus and his work of salvation and his death, burial, and resurrection. And thus, it must be of prime importance to you and to me. Right? Should it not be something that is precious to us? Something that is of the utmost importance. But the world is filled with distractions. Have you noticed that? The world is frequently yelling about what is really important. And depending upon the time period in which you live, it may be one thing or another. It may be that the time period in which you live, they are calling and yelling out about racial justice, that that's what's most important or economic equality, or political change, or progress, or fill in the blank. But no matter what time period in which we live, the primary thing is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. That's always the primary thing. It's always the first thing. And you can't allow yourself to be distracted from it so that you lose sight of it, so you forget what it's all about. And so that it loses its place in your heart, that place of prime importance. Does it have that in your heart? I mean, really, truly, don't don't give me that. Oh, yeah, 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 I believe it. I believe it. But the way you live your life is demonstrating that everything else is of the utmost importance. And this is relegated to a distant back burner. Shouldn't be that way, should it? Why? Because the gospel is a matter that is first of all. It's primary. What then is a gospel? We use that word a lot, right? Rightly so. It's a matter of primary importance. But what does that word mean? Well, the word gospel, euangelion in Greek, 
simply means good news. So when you hear the word gospel, understand that's what it means. It means good news. Or the old way of putting it would have been glad tidings. But nobody talks that way anymore. So we say good news. This is good news. So I want you to understand, I want you to leave this place today, because I know some of you will not come back this evening, even though I exhort you to. I exhort you to come back this evening so you can hear the rest of this. But in case you don't, I want you to know what this good news is. Paul gives us the summary here, verse 3, of this good news. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. What is this good news? It's good news about Jesus and about his death for our sins, his burial, and his resurrection. That's what the gospel is. So if you wonder what's the gospel, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done in accomplishing salvation through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Now the first thing that we see Paul do here in this passage is to declare this gospel to the Corinthians. Now, this gospel that he's declaring to them over again is something that he has already preached to them previously. Verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand. The first word I want you to notice is the word preached. This is a reference to what Paul had done in the past. He had preached the gospel to them. Now, the word for preached here is euangelizo. It's the word that, that's a gospel word. It's gospel preaching. You can see it's a word for the proclamation of the good news of the gospel itself. Now, this is what Paul had done. He had come to the city of Corinth, this major city in the ancient world, and he had proclaimed or preached the gospel. You'll find that story in Acts chapter 18. Let me read you just a portion of it. Acts 18, verses 4 and 5. And he reasoned in the synagogue, that is Paul, every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. What was Paul doing? He was preaching the gospel. And what happened was some of the people in Corinth believed it. They accepted as true the message that Paul had proclaimed, this good news about Jesus. Now, this is what Christ had charged his disciples with. He had charged them to preach the gospel, to proclaim it, to announce it publicly, verbally, with words. And so that's what they did. Jesus commissioned them, Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel to every creature. Well, that makes sense, right? Because if it's good news that Jesus has died for sinners and risen again to give them new life, what do you do with that news? You've got to talk about it. You've got to announce it. You've got to preach it. You've got to proclaim it. And so that's exactly what Paul and the other apostles and disciples did. This is what you do with good news. You tell it, right? What do you do when 
you are getting married. You're excited about it, hopefully. And what do you want to do? You want to tell people. You want to make an announcement. Why? Because it's good news. Hey, I'm getting married. Hooray. And you announce that. Or when you're going to have a baby. What do you do with that? You announce it. And you're happy about it. And you want to tell people about it. You might just grab somebody and say, hey, did you know I'm going to have a baby? You're excited. It's good news. You announce it. That's what the gospel is. It's good news, which means we must talk about it. We must proclaim it. This is why preaching is central in the Christian faith. It's because at the heart of the Christian faith is good news. And good news demands preaching. It demands proclamation. Now, I know you hear the word preaching and you think, Pastor Nick, right? Or some other preacher you've seen. You're preaching, okay? But think about it in a broader way, okay? Preaching is not just here from a pulpit on a Sunday. Preaching can be done and should be done out there in the world, in the coffee shop, or in the school, or in the business world, the marketplace, wherever it may be. The gospel is meant to be proclaimed. Now, secondly, the second word I want to draw your attention to is the word declare. Verse 1 again, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you. Interesting. Now, the word declare there means to make known. I make known to you the gospel, he says. It's a basic idea. It may also carry the idea of remind. I remind you of the gospel. So Paul is presently, through his letter, making known the gospel to them, even though he'd already preached it to them previously. Now, why would he need to do that? What would be the point of that? Now, I used to play basketball when I was younger. And what we wanted to do as young basketball players was we wanted to be on the highlights of ESPN. We wanted to dunk. We wanted to block shots. We wanted to do all that fancy stuff. And what we needed was a coach to tell us, you need to know the basics. And I'm afraid I'm going to have to remind you, young men, of the basics. What are the basics? You know, boxing out, rebounding, you know, all that sort of thing. Now, sometimes we lose sight of that which is basic and fundamental in the faith, and we need reminders of it. And you might think, why would the Apostle Paul write to a group of Christians and say, I'm going to declare to you the gospel? Isn't that preaching to the choir? Isn't that telling people what they already know? Won't they be bored? Don't they need something different, something other than the gospel? No, they need the gospel, and Paul needs to declare it to them again. Why? The gospel is for the church. The gospel is for the church. The good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is for you. You never grow up and mature to the extent that you don't need it anymore. I'm going to move on to bigger and better things, Pastor Nick. I'm going to move on from the gospel to something else. No, the gospel is at the heart of everything. And so Paul writes to these Christians 
to declare to them the gospel again. And you find this all throughout the New Testament. For example, when Paul wants to instruct husbands and wives in the letter to the Ephesians, what might he use to teach them? Guess what he uses? He uses the gospel. He uses the gospel to demonstrate how husbands ought to treat their wives. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also, what? Loved the church and gave himself for her. What is that? That's gospel. That's the good news of Jesus' death. And Paul uses that to teach them about marriage and what is required in marriage. So you and I need to hear the gospel over and over again, regularly, all the time. Let's think about some of the reasons why. Number one, the first reason here is heresy. Heresy. As we previously mentioned, Paul's here making the gospel known to them again because some were departing from it. Look again at verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? You see what's happening? False teaching, false doctrine has infiltrated the church at Corinth, and some have embraced it. And what have they done? They're denying the gospel itself. They're demonstrating their faith is vain, empty, pointless, by denying the resurrection. This is why we need to hear the gospel. We need to know it, and we need to cling to it firmly so that we don't get pulled away from it by false teaching which is always a danger. In the 20th century, liberal Protestant theology, so-called, one of the things that they taught was that we didn't need to believe in a literal, bodily, physical, historical event known as the resurrection. It was enough for us to say, well, Jesus lives again in our hearts. Well, Jesus rose again in our minds, in our memories, and he inspires us that way. Now, you should raise eyebrows, but guess what? There were a lot of professing Christians and a lot of professing church members who bought it, who swallowed it, hook, line, and sinker. So what do we need? We need to know the truth of the gospel, so that when things like that come along, we say, no, 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 no. The gospel involves, at the very heart of it, is the bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Without that, you don't have a gospel. Without Jesus literally rising again from death, you have no good news. No, thank you, we don't need your heresy here. But we won't do that if we don't attend to it constantly, regularly. That's one of the benefits of the Lord's Supper, is it not? Constantly drawing our attention back to the basics, the fundamentals of the gospel, his death for our sins and his resurrection from the dead. The next reason is ignorance. It is a sad reality reality that there are many in the visible church who are ignorant of gospel basics. One of the questions that I ask people is, what is the gospel? And many times, people give me a confused look. 
Like they don't know what I'm asking them. Are they asking me, or am I asking them rather, about a certain style of music? <laughs> no, that's not what I'm talking about. Are we talking about, you know, gospel truth, as in things that everybody knows are true or something like that? No, that's not what we're talking about. But the sad thing is, the sad thing is that there are many people who have gone to church for a long, long time, and if I asked them that question, they wouldn't know what to say. They wouldn't know how to answer the question. When... I interview people for membership in this church, and many of you know this. One of the questions that I ask you is, what is the gospel? I want you to be able to explain it, to articulate it. Why? Because it's a matter of prime importance. It's a matter that is, first of all, it should be in your heart and your mind in such a way that you can explain it at the drop of a hat. Recently, when I say recently, I don't know when it was, okay? The other day. The other day, I interviewed somebody for a job. And I was asking them questions about the gospel. I asked them the same thing. What is the gospel? Can you explain to me what the gospel is? And this person struggled. They struggled to explain it to me. And after we were done... It was insinuated that I was going real deep theologically, that people can't really be expected to know all the answers to these questions and be able to explain and articulate these things. And so maybe, zealous Pastor Nick, maybe you ought to back off a little bit. Is that true? Can we not answer the most basic and fundamental question, what is the gospel? If we can't, if that's too deep theologically, then we got big problems. We've got huge problems that need rectifying. No, you ought to be able to answer. The gospel, Pastor Nick, is the good news. It's the good news that Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. And we're saved from our sins. We are forgiven of our sins through him and his work of salvation. You ought to be able to articulate that, explain that, and defend that. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can do it. It's possible. You've just got to give your heart to it. You've got to give your heart to it. You know those things that you really love, you know how to explain. Right? When I was a kid, I loved my favorite football team, and I knew all the names of the offensive linemen. Who knows that? I knew it because I loved them. I loved this football team, and I loved everything about it, and I wanted to know everything about it. Should we not be that way as Christians? Should we not know our gospel and love our gospel? This gospel that Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 15. Let us not neglect the gospel in our hearts, in our lives, or with our words, because if we do, we are in danger of losing it. Remember what the author to Hebrews told his audience. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed 
to the things we have heard, lest we what? Lest we drift away. It's always a danger. And so we've got to keep the gospel central in our lives. We ought to have this attitude, Miss Fanny Crosby's attitude, that she articulates in the hymn, Tell Me the Story of Jesus. You know this one? Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. Tell of the cross where they nailed him, writhing in anguish and pain. Tell of the grave where they laid him. Tell how he liveth again. Love in that story so tender, clearer than ever I see. Stay, let me weep while you whisper. Love paid the ransom for me. Those ought to be our words from the heart. Tell me the story of Jesus. Tell it to me over and over again. Write on my heart every word so that it will be dear and precious to me. All right, so that is the gospel that Paul declares to the church here at Corinth. They needed to hear it again, and he gives it to them again. Now let's turn our attention to the application of the gospel in verses 1 and 3. What do you do with it after you hear it? What are you intended to do with this news? Now, you know, when you hear news, it demands a response. In some way, if you hear bad news, then the, the expected response is, oh, that's terrible. If you hear good news, the expected response is, oh, that's wonderful. But gospel news requires a response. Let's see how the Corinthians had responded to it. Number one, they had received the gospel. Verse one. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received. Received. What had they done with this news about Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, when Paul proclaimed it in Corinth? Well, they received it. Or to use another word, they accepted it. They embraced it in faith. Acts 18, verse 8. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. So this description that Paul gives, when he says, which also you received, is a way of talking about them responding to the gospel by accepting it in faith. They had received the gospel message. And this is what we have to do as well. We have to receive it. We have to receive it believing that it's true and embracing it with all our heart in love, in faith, and in hope. That's how you know that you become a Christian, when you receive the gospel. Now, can you remember the time when you received the gospel? Maybe you'd heard it many, many times. Maybe if you grew up in church, you heard it over and over again, and then one day it clicked. Then one day God brought it home to your heart And what did you do with it? You received it. You embraced it in faith. Now, we have to do something with the gospel because the gospel, this news of Jesus and his salvation, is something that requires application. You can't just hear it and not respond positively to it. It won't do you any good. In fact, it'll do you wrong. It'll bring judgment upon you. 
That's what I mean. Not do you wrong as in the gospel's wrong. But hearing it and not responding positively to it in faith is to bring judgment upon yourself. Think about it like medicine. You have a problem and you go to the doctor. What does the doctor do? The doctor prescribes medicine. And so you go down to the pharmacy or you're supposed to go down to the pharmacy. Let's say you went to the doctor and you got back home that day and you told your husband or your wife or whoever, well, I went to the doctor with this great problem and I am so excited that he told me what was wrong with me and what needed to be done, that this medicine is what needs to be applied. And your friend or your spouse says, great. So did you go get it? Did you go get the medicine? Oh, no. No, I didn't get, go get the medicine. Well, why not? Oh, I'm just excited to hear the news. <laughs> no, okay, fine. Be excited to hear the news of the cure for your problem, for your ailment. But you've got to keep going. You've got to take the next step, which is what? Which is going down there to get the prescription and apply the medicine to yourself so that you will receive the benefit of it. This is what we do when we receive the gospel. We are applying it by the grace of God to ourselves. Moreover, the gospel message demands a response from us. We either receive it as the Corinthians did or we reject it. There's no middle ground. There's no neutral place. There's no place for you to say, well, I'm just going to intellectually roll this around in my mind and remain in a neutral territory here, neither receiving the gospel nor rejecting it. It can't be that way. It doesn't work that way. You do one or the other. You either receive it in faith or you reject it. There's no middle ground. What about you? Have you received it? Or have you rejected it? Don't excuse yourself to think, well, I'm still thinking about it, Pastor Nick. Well, it's good that you think about it, but a decision must be made. A choice must be made. And that is either reception or rejection. I urge you to receive it, to accept it. Second, notice that Paul not only speaks of the Corinthians receiving the gospel, but also standing in that gospel. Verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand. The Corinthians had in the past received the gospel message in faith. They believed it. They accepted it. And now presently, they were standing in it. It was the place upon which they stood. That is, they were adhering firmly to it. It was the basis of their standing before God. It is in the gospel truth itself that those who were truly saved have taken their stand and they continue to do so even at the present time, such that Paul can describe it as a present reality for these Christians. The gospel is not only a message to receive, but a message to stand firmly in. You know what that's, that's like, right? To take a stand, to take a stand upon something. It always makes me think of the weather reporter who's reporting during the hurricane 
What does that reporter need to do? They've got, they've got to take a stand. They've got to get some firm ground in which to take a, take a stand so that they can not be blown away by the winds of the storm. This is what we must do, spiritually speaking, with the gospel. We must not only receive it initially in faith, but we must stand in it. It must be something that we are currently doing. We are currently standing in it. That is to say, we remain a firm adherent to it, even in the face of danger, temptation, and tribulation. We take our stand in the gospel, and we continue to take our stand in the gospel. It is not a message to initially believe and then later abandon. It is a message to take your present stand in and remain there. That's what we are to do. We are to apply the gospel, the good news to ourselves, by not only receiving it, but by standing in it. And that's the big question. That's the big question for all of us. Not what did you do 30 years ago. Not what happened 20 years ago when you were baptized or when you accepted Christ as your Savior or what have you. The question is, what are you doing now? Are you still standing in the gospel? Are you still remaining firmly upon it? Are you adhering to it? This is what we all have to do to stand upon it. Next, let's consider the gospel as saving. We've seen Paul declare the gospel to them again. We've seen their application of it. And now let's see the saving gospel as Paul describes it here in verses 2 through 4. First of all, verse 2, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. The first thing to notice is how Paul describes the gospel. He says that the gospel is that by which also you are saved. It's a saving gospel. The gospel is the means by which we are saved. Now, the New Testament speaks this way about the gospel. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for, it's what? It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Or earlier in this book, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. The message, the good news of Jesus Christ is saving. Why? Because the gospel is all about Jesus. It's all about him and his work of salvation. And it is the means by which God brings us into union with Christ. He brings us into saving relationship with Jesus Christ through the gospel, through the good news of what Jesus has accomplished and done. Furthermore, we should note here the language. Verse 2 again, by which also you are saved. Actually, in the Greek, this is a present passive. So we could translate it thusly, by which also you are being saved. It is something that is occurring continually in the present. We can speak of salvation in the past tense. We were saved by the death of Christ. 
We can speak of it in the present tense. We are being saved by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and of the gospel in our lives, and we will be saved on that great and final day because of Christ and his salvation. But notice the qualifier that Paul adds here in verse 2. By which also you are saved if, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you. Now we need to talk about perseverance. The gospel is something to believe initially and then continue in. To persevere in believing and being faithful to. What must be done? We must hold fast. If you hold fast. You know what that means to do, right? Hang on. Keep a firm grip on it. And hold fast to this good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. This was the description of the person symbolized by the good ground in the parable of the sower. Remember that? Luke chapter 8. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it. Same word used here, which is translated, hold fast. Hang on to it. And they bear fruit with patience. That's what we have to do. We have to cling to it. We have to adhere to it. We've got to hang on to and hold fast to this gospel news. Have you ever done that? Have you ever held fast to something? You know, maybe you were in a, a really strong wind or a swift river or something like that, and you reached out to do what? You reached out to grab onto something and hang on and hold fast to it. That's what we're to do with the gospel. We're to hang on to it. We do that by God's grace with his strength and his power, yes, but nevertheless, we hold fast. It is what God requires of us. It is what we must do. We must hang on to it. Why would we have to do that? Because there's always the threat of heresy, of false teaching that leads us astray and leads us to relinquish our hold on the gospel. The problem here in Corinth was a denial of the doctrine of the resurrection. And we see in so many different ways in our culture today denials of Christian truth and of the Christian gospel. What do you have to do? You've got to remain firm and hang on. Okay? You've got to hold fast to this truth that Christ died for our sins. He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. It requires perseverance. It requires endurance. There are many people who start the Christian life, and there are many people who later abandon it. And you must make sure that you are not among those who abandon it later on. What does God want you to do? He wants you to keep going. He wants you to hold fast. Are you holding fast? Are you clinging to the gospel of Jesus? Even with everything going on around us in our culture, are you sticking to Christ and the basic message of salvation as we have it here in the word of God? Let us return to that little word in verse 2. If, if, if. You hold fast that word which I preach to you. What's the if there? The if is a condition. 
you are being saved, by which also you are saved, if you do what Paul says, which is hold fast to the gospel. It provides a condition. And the Bible often strikes this note of conditionality. For example, John 8, 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, or who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. What was Jesus requiring there? Perseverance. Got to keep on keeping on. Or Paul, Colossians 1. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Here we go, verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. Ah, do you hear that little word, if? It's an important word that indicates a requirement, a condition that must be fulfilled. Now, we don't have time to go into it today, This is not a statement that denies the security of the believer or denies that, or teaches rather, that someone can be genuinely saved and later lost. We don't believe that. No, we believe that if you're genuinely born again, there's no going back. If you're really saved, genuinely rescued from your sins by Christ, regenerated, then nothing can change that. But at the same time, we also know that it is the true believer, according to the Bible, who perseveres, who keeps going and does not give up. There is no assurance to the person who says, well, I believed the gospel years ago, but they have long since abandoned it. And you know many such persons, I would imagine. You know many people who think of their relationship with God as something they took care of in the past, but you look at their life and there's nothing there. There's no gospel there. There's no love for the gospel. There's no desire to follow Jesus Christ. They're not fulfilling what the Bible says must be fulfilled, and that is you've got to keep going. You've got to persevere. Now, I know that's hard. That's difficult. You will be tested. You have been already, and you will continue to be tested on whether or not you're going to stick with it, whether or not you're going to stay with Jesus or not. And there are all sorts of forces today seeking to pull you away. Will you persevere? You must. Perseverance is required. Look at it again, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast. What does that mean? It means if you don't hold fast, you won't be saved. You say, Pastor, that doesn't fit with the whole thing I grew up with. I know. I grew up with it too. Pray this prayer, come down to this altar. Receive salvation and know that no matter what happens after this, you are saved. You have eternal life and everything is right between you and God. And then we've got people who do that and then they go out and they abandon Christ 
They abandoned the Christian life. They abandoned the church. They abandoned the gospel. And yet, they're saved. Is that how that works? No, that's not how that works. That's not biblical. That's not what the Bible teaches. I didn't put the if in there. God did. God put that if there, which means that we are required to be faithful to this gospel and to persevere in it. It would not have done any good if I had started my final run in boot camp really, really strong, right? We had to run three miles. If I'd started it really strong and I got to the halfway point, which was this bridge over some water, and I said, whew, that was tough. And had a seat right there in the grass. Said, I'm done. I started well. Would that count? No, it wouldn't count. No, what would people be saying to me? Hey, you've got to get up from there. You've got to get up and you've got to keep going. You've got to finish. You've got to persevere. And so we have to do in the Christian life. We've got to finish. We've got to persevere in faithfulness to the gospel. So my question for you today is very simple. Number one, if you're here today and you're not a believer, I exhort you to turn from your sins, to repent of your sins, and believe this gospel and be saved. If you repent, if you believe, you will be saved. Christ will change your life through his good news of his death, burial, and resurrection. If you're a believer here today, are you persevering? Are you holding fast? Are you clinging to this gospel that you say you believe and hold precious? Is it really? Is it really a matter of the utmost importance to you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how easy it can be for us to be led astray, to be distracted, to lose sight of what is most important. Is there anything more important? Is there anything of greater importance than Jesus and his work of salvation? No, there's not. And that's what the gospel is all about. And so we thank you for this reminder. We thank you for the reminder of Jesus' death for our sins, of his burial, and of his resurrection from the dead, in which we have new life. We thank you and we praise you for this gospel, and we do ask that you would write on our hearts every word. We ask that we would hold it precious, that we would do what we've been exhorted to do here today, and that is hold fast to it. Not be led astray by this teaching or that teaching, but cling firmly, adhere faithfully to Jesus and his gospel. I pray for the person here today who doesn't know Christ, whose heart has never been opened to that gospel. And I pray, Father, that you would open their hearts and that you would save them. I pray, Lord, for your people and ask that you would help us. Lord, help us with all the, the temptations and the dangers around us in our everyday lives that we would not fail to see the importance of the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, but that it would always hold that place of prime importance in our hearts, in our words, and in our lives. 
We thank you for this time and we pray that you help us to leave this place with the scriptures burning in our hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As you leave today, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.